Cowabunga Dudes, Rob here. Just wanted to thank you all for tuning in and to give you all a heads up that we had an amazing time talking with Isaac Elliott Fisher, the producer of Turtle Power, the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and also his upcoming sequel, I guess you could call it, uh, Volume 2, which he's working on right now. So we got to talk about turtles and just had a great time. But if you'd like to check out his other projects and keep up to date with Turtle Power 2, his website is faupop.com. That's F-A-U-X-P-O-P.com. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash turtlepower2. Isaac, thanks again, man. Big slice of pizza goes out to you. And as always, cowabunga, dudes. Michelangelo here, you know, the master of the whirling pizzas. And you, my friend, are listening to Turtle Flakes, a bodacious bowl of Ninja Turtles goodness, brought to you by my radical dudes, Rob and John. Cowabunga! Cowabunga, dudes who do that, and welcome to another episode of Turtle Flakes. Today is a very special episode, as I'm not only joined by my main man, Josh Tello. How's it going, man? Not bad. How are you guys doing? Cowabunga. <laughs> Cowabunga. I don't know why I keep waving at the camera. <laughs> yeah, it's not a video podcast, man. Jeez. <laughs> and I'm also joined by a uh, returning guest, a very, very special member of the Ninja Turtles community, a filmmaker and uh, a friend of the show, Isaac Elliott Fisher. How's it going, man? Not bad. You are so glad this is not a video podcast this morning. <laughs> you, you do Looking not want to huh? see this. Oh. That's all right. Uh, I've been working all week. <laughs> oh, bless your heart, dude. I, it's one isn't, of it, isn't it Happy Thanksgiving today? Isn't this an American Thanksgiving thing right now? Or am I? If I missed it, have I totally missed it? Yeah, I've you just... missed it, but not by much. Only two days. Okay. All right. <laughs> and okay. you know what? We're thankful for you, man. We're thankful you came on the show. Well, thank you. I... It's not. It's not really like. There's not very many days in the calendar year where like we're actually expected to miss a gigantic meal i mean that's kind of what americans do we kind of just have a big meal <laughs> try to find a holiday time. to kind of make excuse for it yeah and then every, and everybody rushes to those stores to trample each other for <sighs> black no Friday. kidding no oh kidding. no way no yeah. <laughs> no i've learned my lesson i used to work retail no <laughs> oh lord <laughs> Well, uh, well, anyways, guys, Isaac Elliott Fisher is one of the producers of Turtle Power, the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles DVD, the documentary, which came out as I just now discovered this, just came out two years ago. And I can't believe that because the last time we had talked to Isaac was before the film had come out and we were talking about how what what would be in it, who would be in it, you know. But it's so cool two years later to actually finally talk about not only the current film, but a part two apparently so that's right yeah that's, that's that's fantastic so so first of all man i want to start off uh asking you a question it's something that i think i noticed the first time i watched the documentary and and definitely watching it again yesterday i still feel the same way so uh my first question to you is this you know basically turtle power it was it was a love letter to the fans i mean it really was i think it covered so many great things the the comic the origin of the comic 
the licensing uh, and how Mark Friedman really kind of carried the ball with the licensing, the Playmates, and the cartoon, and then the movies, and then the impact it had on everybody in the early 80s, and, or I mean the late 80s and early 90s. So uh, my first question is, it seems like the film began with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, and then it ended with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Did, did you intend for it to be just basically a journey between two friends? Um, not necessarily from the from the get go because we we kind of approach all of the pop culture documentaries that we do with a very open with a very open mind in terms of what we hope to capture. I mean, I mean, we we definitely come into it with uh, goals and hopes and and kind of you know a plan, but we really let the content dictate to us what the story really is going to become. As as we discover it, which you know you have to let it you have to let it breathe and be what it's going to be. Otherwise, you're coming in with too much of an agenda, and uh, and that can skew what you're what you're going to find. I mean, to be absolutely honest, I think when we started Turtle Power, we we thought we were going to end up really filming more of a fan film about the fans of the of the franchise, mostly because we didn't think we would get the the access. Um, because, you know, we, we had access, I guess, we knew we were going to see Peter, um, that was uh, set up in advance, but really I kind of, I walked up to Kevin at a convention, as I told many times before, and, and said, do you want to be in it? And then it kind of snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. In terms of the, the, the kind of the, the companion story that, that came out of it, I guess that was... That was relatively obvious from the beginning because of the fact that Turtles is a very unique brand in that way, that you have this this pair of guys that, that started from a couch, you know, in, in the early 80s, and then, you know, have this meteoric rise and everything. And I think that everybody within the Turtle community knew and understood that they didn't really speak to each other anymore. Um, that was not something we ever intended on focusing on, uh, yeah. which is why, I mean, one of... One of, one of the criticisms that we did experience was that we didn't really explain why they they didn't they were not friends anymore and they didn't connect and didn't talk anymore. But that wasn't that was never really our intention, um, and we never really we felt like that would be a disservice to them. It wouldn't be awkward for them to to have to talk about that. So when after five years of working with them, they kind of decided to go and do a signing together. Um, in uh, I think it was in it was like New Hampshire area anyway. Was it Steve Levine's shop? Uh, yeah, it was. Shellback. Was, well, there was two. There was one in a, uh, and you have to forgive me because I think it was in another state, but it was right uh, across the state line from where Steve Levine's shop was. But there was two that 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 weekend. There was the Saturday, and it was at this little convention where they first had released the Turtle Book, um, in like the same you know room that they had released it and and that was that was kind of it was kind of really much it was very much just like a little mini comic con in a in a small town and that that first day was wasn't it was good you know they kind of shook hands and sat down and that was it and 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 then the second day they went to Steve Levine's shop and it was a little bit more personal and they they you know they were talking together obviously by the second day and and nobody knew like including them nobody knew what was going to happen but the problem is is we had already delivered the film we had already hand we had already made the deal with Paramount we'd already handed it over because that's a long process in advance of of it coming out you know you have to yeah. We had to finish it at our end, and then we have to hand it over for quality control. And, and it was literally like that week 
we had handed the film in for QC, and uh, and we were expecting them to come back with a few, you know, uh, corrections or whatever from a technical perspective. So we went ahead and and drove down and filmed them uh, doing the signing, and when they. When we were leaving, we said, "Okay, we're going to hit the road." And then Peter and I—we knew this. We knew this was the case. But Peter came up to us and said, um, "You know that Dover, New Hampshire, is like 20 minutes away from where we are, which is where they invented the turtles in that little house. The house is no longer there. We had actually driven by, and there was an empty lot." Oh um, wow! And uh, so we we said, "Yeah, we know Peter. We've been <laughs> trying to suggest that we should we should do this um, for a long time." And he says, "You know, Peter says Kevin and I ha- haven't." have never been there since since we had like you know been there together when we lived there so after a bunch of of of, uh moving around schedules we said okay let's let's stay for another day uh and kevin was able to to take some time before he he flew back to wherever the heck he was going and then we all all went to that property the next day so we were able to sneak a little bit of that footage of the not only the signing but if you watch right to the end of the credits there's an easter egg um at the very very end um, and and you'll see the kind of it's hinting at that, that that we spent some time there. So so in terms of to go to loop the long way back to your question, in terms of like seeing this as a a journey story, we always kind of hoped for that, but we didn't really have a conclusion until after we had delivered the film. <laughs> so wow. then then we kind of like I say snuck in because uh, because what we had was we had a placeholder that at the end of the movie when we handed it in say, that said you know on this date uh, they had agreed to come and sign again uh, at this place and and you know after so many so you had this like this text up on the end of the screen that said or at the end of the movie that said uh, you know this is what happened it's like you know so many things you know so many movies you see that kind of ending tag this is what happened to them in the future um, so so <laughs> we were able to take that ta- same time slot right at the beginning of the credits and, and put the footage of them signing together and then tag the end of the credits with this little Easter egg. So 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 that that was a precursor to we, we always knew that the film that we delivered didn't cover everything that we had. But it that made that was more because it made the story made more sense that way. And then we have all this content and we always wanted to do more than one film. But it was it was just a case of um, well, I guess not from the beginning, but I mean, once we had so much footage, we're like, well, this is way too much for, for one film. But it was always a case of uh, the powers that be had to, you know, approve these things. And and um, not only that, but, you know, when we delivered it, we said, well, maybe we'd have all these bonus features and stuff. But it just turned out that it was just the time. We couldn't we couldn't do it in the amount of time that we had. We just, yeah. they said we had to deliver the film at this specific time. It took us, you know, there was three guys sitting in Mark's basement 16 hours a day for 10 days straight just cramming it to get it out the door when we when we got it uh when we got the deadline you know then take okay now we're going to take you know 20 hours of bonus footage <laughs> and then go through the same clearance process it just wasn't going to happen wow well see first of all you you, you caught me man I, I didn't know there was an easter easter egg after the credits so i'm gonna have to go back and watch it now it's like a marvel movie. watch it again yeah, yeah. <laughs> You have to watch it from the beginning. You can't watch the you know, you can't just watch the credits. You have to watch it from the beginning. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> I had recently about two days ago I just watched uh Turtle Power again for what must have been the hundredth time because it's <laughs> it is it is a very good film. I I'm sorry if I'm try if I sound like I'm sucking up here, but I really do enjoy <laughs> that movie. I had 
always. I, I pay you. I paid you good money to say that. Thank you. <laughs> I know, man. I just five dollars off to the right. I Checks appreciate in the mail. it. That's yeah. right. Um, but I, I really do appreciate you making this film. You and your team making this movie because I've always wanted to see just an in-depth look at the inception of the Ninja Turtles. I really enjoyed it, and it's. I get the same nostalgic feeling every time I watch it uh, for when I saw the Turtles for the first time. Um, But I was just curious, what uh, experiences did you take away from making that first film? I think there's a small novel of that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah, please publish that. Yeah, next Kickstarter. uh, Yeah, I'll buy it. But based on those experiences, how did that help you at least prepare for a second film? Well, I mean, well, thank you, first of all. I mean, it was, it was, I had the same dream and vision to begin with, is that I really wanted to see that. I wanted, like, I, in, in a way, I was actually, it was born of the fact that I was looking to watch it. I was trying to find it, and it was, it didn't, it didn't, and because it didn't exist, I was like, you know what, it'd be really cool to work on this, um, if not make it. Um, so it was, it was a dream come true just as it happened. To be, <laughs> to be absolutely honest, and this might be, sound like a little bit of a bummer, but you know that, you know that, that nostalgic feeling that you're talking about every time you watch it and every time you see something that's Turtles related, when you're, when you're doing it on the road and you're like, you know, you're, you're, you're so in-depth into it, it's, that's, that kind of burns out a little bit. Uh, for How me, much it do did. I really love the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even it's not even that. I mean, like I, you start loving it for something, it's for a completely different reason, and that yeah. and it's kind of like a. Don't take this the wrong way, but it kind of it's kind of almost like an, a, a, a maturing or a maturation of mm-hmm. yeah. that that nostalgic feeling. Because now it's like now I have these nostalgic feelings for a different reason. It's not it's not necessarily the memory of opening that toy on my birthday. Now it's the time that we spent with Kevin or yeah. and Peter and and wow. everybody else. Because then because then it becomes more personal. It becomes about these people. Um, which was which is a kind of I was totally okay with, but but at the same time there was you know you, you kind of feel that as you as you you're looking at these toys and you don't have that quite that same response um, that you did before. But that's just in terms of my total my totally my personal experience with it um, and what I took away from it. But the 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 like in terms of moving into the second one, um, to be honest, we actually went and shot between well i guess we shot only one between them because we've been kind of going crazy with all these different other dogs but we we went pretty much right away the following year out and started shooting uh the, the documentary a riddle of steel which is the the history of the definitive history of conan the barbarian so <laughs> we, we spent like the better part of that year shooting most of that um i think in 2015 ish around there which was great and it was a big sprawling one and it's a totally different um story arc um because of the fact that like like i said before these these other franchises that we're starting to cover don't have the kevin and peter so it's just that kevin and peter story is just so unique to that brand but we're still trying to bring the same style and level of intensity and i guess you could call it sort of journalistic and uh method into these other ones so so it was more when i went into the second one the lessons that i that we were learning you know came from the first film for sure but then that that also then built upon in the second one and or the uh, the conan one and then we shot most of the second turtle doc and then we shot and recently we were just wrapping up um actually we're wrapping up post on he-man the masters of the universe right now so so it's uh so yeah it's been a it's been a crazy ride but i mean for me i'm also you know there's three of us that are the the primary people behind these docs and i am 
also the cinematographer. So from well, that's actually what my day job it really is. Um, so the the technical approach, of course, for me is is definitely changed because I mean, like Turtle Power was shot over the course of five years, and in that time, not only did tech technology completely flip, um, but also just my I was very young, well, relatively young when we started it, so. You know, my abilities as a cinematographer changed dramatically over that time as well. So the I look back at Turtle Power 1 and go, ugh, you know, <laughs> I could have oh. shot that. I, I could shoot that so much better. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's okay because I say that, you know, and it sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's also, it's a documentary, so it doesn't, it's okay as long as, you, you know, these people are on camera and they look okay and, and that's <laughs> uh, But, you know, you, 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 any, any kind of creative person will always do that with anything they do, whether it's drawing a comic book or painting a, pic, uh, a picture or whatever. They're always like, oh, I could have done this so much better now. <laughs> what's, what's, what's your best movie? The next one I'm doing, that's the best movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's funny you bring that up because that was actually my next question. You know, that was one of my favorite parts of this doc was the visual appeal, you know, of the sets. You know, in, in between, say, uh, an interview or something like that, you'd have a character sketch and, uh, you know, like a profile of Raphael or you'd have a timeline, you know, kind of going back to the current time. Uh, you'd have your TV set, your sewer layouts. You know, what was it like creating all this stuff? You know, is this all that was in your head or something else's idea? You know, where did it all come from? No, so, totally. I mean, like, I'm also <laughs> – we all wear many, many hats. And, and so <laughs> one of the things that I – I mean, cinematography in general as a as a profession does tie very closely into production design. Uh, so So I tend to – push for that anyway so I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades in general and I like to build and create things so when we were approaching the b-roll like right from the very very first day because when we when we started this we did like I said we had nobody uh, lined up it was I think my first official interview was with Michelle Ivy um, and uh, that was uh, that was probably late 2008 or January 2009, because I know that January 2009, we, the director of the film is a, uh, he's a, he was a high school teacher, uh, and he had access to this, the, the high school that he worked at, so we built this, I, I built this miniature city out of foam core to the size, roughly the size of the Ninja Turtles, and, and with the intention of shooting our version of toy commercials, um, and there's only one shot that appears from that in the doc that that I kind of left in just because it was like, oh, isn't this cute that we did this? But it's it looks I just don't like it at all. But anyway, it it, <laughs> it was it was because I had no I I had no idea how to shoot it, but we it looked okay. We built a, this. It was like I think it was like 16 feet long by like eight feet deep, and it was all these little cutout buildings and stuff. And um, and we just kind of reproduced the toy commercials for fun. So that was like right from the beginning. We were always intending on building stuff that would be used as B-roll and interstitials to make it, in a way, make it current, make it our own, put our own stamp on it, while also looking at like, – because then, then you have the opportunity to look at specific, like specifics about a toy or, um, or, a, or an artifact. Let's call it an artifact. Um, uh, that uh, – Within an environment that then is relative, you know, to the film or, or relates to the film. Um, so that evolved into uh, I was living in a very small apartment in uh, Guelph, Ontario, which had this this garage that we shared with the upstairs tenants. And I I took over half the garage and built a curved wall 
and and had pouring water that went out the garage door um <laughs> and i used that as a background uh for the first round of turtle products and i think some of those shots appear where there's like the comic sitting on a pedestal and and it looks like it's in a sewer and each of those individuals this is a ridiculous part is that each of the individual bricks were sliced out of foam that then i melted on a barbecue and then put <laughs> stuck to the wow. and it was ridiculous and then and then from there i i realized you know that i could buy vacuum form plastic brick relief <laughs> texture <laughs> <laughs> way more efficient but <laughs> so i bought that and we we it was really expensive but i bought a small amount of it and i built a well first of all i i was shooting a lot of reality television shows at the time and i was shooting a series of reality television television shows in new york so every night after i would um wrap up on the day's work there in new york i would and i was downtown like right right in manhattan so i would just leave in the hotel and walk around manhattan with this camera and shoot little funky street scenes which is the opening credit sequence except oh, for the time lapse i didn't shoot the time lapse scene that was actually a stock footage but um the those these three scenes and there's actually a, there's actually a shot of a foot like somebody's foot stepping into a puddle um and that's actually me walking through the puddle but like there's nobody with me i didn't have a tripod i had nothing i literally had a, like a dslr you know point and shoot camera and i would i set it on like a on like a divider, like a cement like construction divider, and just walked away from the camera. And I'm, we're talking like downtown Manhattan in the middle of the night. So like I would set it on, set it alone, walk <laughs> halfway up the street so that my foot appears in this shot and turn around, and run back. Yeah, nobody, st- <laughs> nobody stole the camera. And so that led into this idea that because I was like, okay, let's let's have the camera go into the sewer. And there was many a uh, argument about the rel- like the the whether or not it was worth doing the sewer shot which is the opening credits end of that credit shot and a lot of people i actually we actually i I laugh to this day because there was you know we've had some interesting critic you know critiques you know people not everybody likes your film and that's fine you know that's to be expected but when people write these elaborate um you know critical negative reviews on your film and they they say and the opening credits have this crappy cg opening with this crappy cg you know uh (laughs) falling down the sewer i'm like but I don't. I don't know whether I should take that as a compliment because none of it was CG. Like <laughs> it was. It was entirely. It was entirely practical. That the sewer is like a sixteen foot high um, tube that was three feet in diameter that I had to suspend myself in ropes going up and down hand texturing. <laughs> and 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 then the tube, like the sewer, um, sort of the sewer canister was handmade. You know, had like a, an ooze in it, had self illumination, and then it rained inside there. And then we took a uh, a forty two thousand dollar red epic camera and bolted it inside of a, a drywall bucket on a rope with the with the uh, the canister kind of attached to the front of it with fishing line. And then I had a uh, my 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 grip down on the ground literally let go of the rope while this $42,000 camera plummeted down 16 feet to the the floor with cement in the middle of the water in the rain while this canister <laughs> you know falls through you know that was that was all practical wow what about that <laughs> and then people were like oh my god what a crappy cg shot and i'm like okay <laughs> yeah thank you it was fake what it was, was what was the ooze made out of that was that stuff that you can make online where you mix like um 
Elmer's Elmer's craft glue with okay. uh, yeah borax soap and and you mix it with food coloring and and it, it, the only reason that it was even that is that that stuff holds bubbles really well so if you shake it up and get all the bubbles in it then it looks really you know like it looks like ooze right yeah it does it, that looks really I mean it looks like and this is a compliment it looks disgusting like that looks like something I do not want to get that on me at all and you had to yeah. work with it you could like YouTube the uh, the uh, the recipe that's so easy to make and it's non-toxic so you can like throw it at your children it's amazing <laughs> oh, don't give me any ideas I'm gonna do that today <laughs> well uh it's fun. It's funny that that you're saying you got criticism on that because my wife, as soon as I cut it on yesterday, and like I said, it was the first time she'd ever seen it. I think she was surprised at like how professional it looked right away. She's like, "Oh my gosh, this looks really good." I was like, yeah. "You." She looks at me. She's like, "You know these people?" <laughs> I was like, "Yep." Thank thank her for us because I mean that's always the intent. It was it was this, the the reason you know you go well. Why the heck would you go to all this trouble and make you know sewers and and all this stuff because because exactly that is that it is it, it is professional. Um, it it uh, it lends an artistry to it. It doesn't just come across as you know. Oh well, well we got these you know half a dozen people. I mean if you look at even the way. We know that they're called EPKs. The the stuff that that is the behind the scenes that you get on a Blu-ray, right? For any you know any generic movie, those EPK teams are are paid an inordinate amount of money to shoot what they call behind the scenes of a movie. And nine times out of ten, you get four interviews with just the cast, and they all say we loved being in this movie because they're paid to say it. And <laughs> and they and they they shoot for one day on set, and you can tell they only got like. You know that one time that somebody was jumping in a car and driving away or something. You know, and and so there's this bare minimum attitude to behind the scenes of of things. And I always kind of looked at this as like the behind the scenes of a brand. And I was like, no, if we were going to do this, you're gonna you're gonna go out and you're gonna try to get Brian Henson and you're gonna try to get absolutely everybody. And and you know, to be absolutely fair to those people that are frustrated with elements of the film, no, we didn't get everybody. We tried, and also we got obviously more than we than we used but you also at the end of the day have to make a cohesive story so not everybody's going to yeah. make it in and even though you interview everybody that you can some of them don't have anything to say or they don't remember you know i mean this is we're usually talking about brands that happened 20 or 30 years ago yeah. um yeah and, and it's a, it's amazing that they that they do remember you know as much Whoa. as they do well, I mean, I'm, I'm impressed. I don't get that criticism at all because, and I'm not just saying this. You didn't pay me. I, I swear, listeners, you didn't pay me. But uh, I, I was so impressed that you got as many people as you did. I mean, just off the top of my head, you got the entire core of the original cartoon voice cast, yeah. uh, including late James Avery. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had, uh, let's see, Mark Friedman from um, the licensing, Surge Licensing. Uh, which I, that was a whole side of the story I didn't know a lot about. You know, was the whole process that went into the licensing to kind of get Playmates aboard and everything, and that was fascinating to me because I didn't know anything about that stuff. I knew about the origin story with Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird to a point, but the whole marketing of it I didn't know anything about. Um, you got uh, John Handy, who was the, uh, one of the guys that designed a lot of the figures, along with a lot of the comic book writers. That what I thought was so interesting is a lot of the writers and artists helped design the toys yeah, uh, yeah. and I, I thought that was so fascinating because i didn't know that like ryan brown and then uh there was a, there was a couple others uh david wise was you know of course he worked with the cartoon but he also inspired a lot of these toys but there was a lot of content from him i'm, I'm trying to look at my notes yeah. here others well i mean like it's 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 definitely that like that these things are born of of many 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 parents right like Absolutely. and it's 
Yeah, it's takes a village kind of thing, and and every brand. I mean, actually, I'm surprised I'm remembering as much about uh, turtles right now this exact moment that I am because I've been so you know <laughs> knee, knee deep in He-Man this week that I, I'm because I'm literally finishing up the assembly this week of of the He-Man film. So of course you get you just you just get so immersed in it. That's all you know. It's like yeah. okay, this is what I know right now. And um, <laughs> and but it's it's very you know you look at that franchise and it's so contentious in terms of who invented He-Man and then She-Ra down the road which is amazing um, that they because you've got you know all these different people that came up with different elements of yeah. this, the core thing obviously with Kevin and Peter they, they really truly came up with the core initial elements and I mean the other cool thing about that is that you know we were so lucky that um, it is just it, it's like any documentary filmmakers absolute dream that you know Peter bought like that video camera in like what like 85 86 like shot so much like the the clips that you see of them sitting at that that toy room table um he uh, with John Handy and Carl Ronian like there's a few little clips that appear in there where they they say something relevant uh to the film that that footage comes from i think it's like 4 hours of that of that camera just like sitting there well they just they just and and in a good chunk of that time, they're just left alone in that room. So they literally like set the camera on the table. So there's like <laughs> literally an hour of them sitting there drawing in silence, and <laughs> there's nothing. Nothing happens. Occasionally, Kevin starts like getting bored and making stupid you know faces at the camera or whatever. And like like it's amazing that it was just purely fly on the wall. Which in in that in that footage is where you first see. All of those preliminary designs for the toy line, I mean, when you think about it, those preliminary designs would have inspired the original cartoon in the sense that if Playmate said there's going to be a giant man face in the wall of the sewer that only talks to Spock, <laughs> then that would have shown up in the cartoon. So everything we knew was, was in, in terms of what we got for the this this entire history came from those initial toy meetings right with those decisions so so when i saw this footage of you know there was this job of the hut character and there was these other wacky you know football players with spikes on their faces and neo-nazi characters and all this ridiculous <laughs> stuff oh that God. shot snot out of like sh- shot snot out of guns that looked like noses and all this stuff and i said Okay, well, this is the only place that I've ever seen this because it's obviously only this footage, which is why I used to say so often on the forums and stuff. I said this: there's stuff in here that nobody has ever, ever caught, could have possibly seen or known, no matter how big of a fan you are. And then when we found John Handy and Carl Aronian, John, we interviewed him out at this amazing little resort he has right on on right on the um, the uh, the Pacific Ocean's like cliffs uh, called Tree Bones, and he. We, we did this amazing interview, and he remembered some of that, but he didn't really. Uh, and then he found this box in his garage and shipped it to me without telling me. I, I came home one day, and there was this box in front of my door, and it had all of those original drawings, um, oh. including ones I didn't obviously didn't see in the video, that were just like, holy crap, this is... And, and, and Playmates threw them out. Like, he kept them because they threw them out. So So those are like the... Well, I you know, I scanned them and shipped them back, and those were like the... Um, Truly, the the first round. Now, this is where you know lessons learned. When it comes to saying, okay, yeah, we get you know we get as many people as we can. 
we ended up really focusing on that. So you end up having these two guys, which are now, as I understand it, in the toy industry, those guys are really the marketing guys, right? So those drawings would have been created by people that worked in their either their preliminary department or their early design department, right? So once once those things were approved or once they decided, yes, we're going ahead with this brand, they would have handed it to designers to then do turnarounds and finished the actual designs of what became the the toys that we purchased. That designer, and of course those, those designers, those artists are incredibly important to this history, but we were never told who they were, right? So because we never saw those designs once it went once once it went into the production. And when we were doing He-Man, uh, we found the guy who is most responsible for for inventing He-Man as as we knew it as a toy line, his name is Mark Taylor. And Mark Taylor left Play uh, uh, Mattel toys to go and design the Ninja Turtles line. So, wow. so we ne- so so I was so he was mad, like, <laughs> rightfully so, that he was not in you know our definitive history film. Because um, then I go, yeah, you're right. You know, you should have been in it, but we just didn't know because you're, because you're also you know covering you know cartoons and and you know live action and everything there's only so much you can get and of course it's it's as you notice with the doc it's we really focused on the firsts of everything so to be fair to the doc john handy and carlo ronian were the firsts they were the first people to really have their hands on this and and to take it and make it something um to be absolutely fair to, to mark taylor of course he then went in there and went okay now i'm going to make this a reality and and of course also we looked at it as well Steve Varner sculpted the first one based on not based on drawings. So he literally, in terms of the four turtles designs, like the four main main, main toys, those were never really drawn. Like it was Steve Varner looked at the comics and then sculpted the way he would like it, as he says, and uh, and then th- you know there's the toy that we had. Right, right, and that they were the the eight inch toys. And I remember in the doc, it's it, Peter Laird. Actually, going back to what you were saying, you know, when when he was filming a lot of this stuff, one of the things that definitely caught my attention was. Peter Laird said for a lot of the first sketches, he's like, uh, I'm afraid we're crossing that line into getting too silly. Yeah. You know, can, can we go back to the drawing board and kind of make it a little bit more turtle-esque? Yeah, exactly. And then eventually it did become what they were hoping for, and, and it was approved by them. And, and that's all caught on camera, and I just think that's so fascinating. And and one of my favorite scenes that was also caught on camera was probably my favorite scene in the entire documentary is when they're all partying. Yeah. It's right after I think – Playmates decided to pick them up, and the cartoon was about to begin. They're all celebrating with that bottle of champagne, and you got Jim Lawson, uh, Dan Berger, you got um, Kevin Eastman, uh, Ryan, Ryan Brown. Brown. They're all they're all yeah. together, and they're all yeah. like in this one house. And I'm and I love what Jim Lawson said. He's a personal hero of mine. I love what he said. He's like he said it in the documentary, and he he said it to us before. You know, at that time they were like a family. You know, yeah. and I think I think your doc does a great job of just kind of encapsulating that whole feel. You know that this these guys were like a family. You know, it's just it's just a group of, you know, regular guys that came together and created something great. Yeah. No. I mean, there's 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 more and more and more footage in there that supports that even that story, like he says. And and I mean, obviously, you can't you can't squeeze it all in because some of it's like so mundane. But the like, for instance, when when Ryan Brown, who amazingly still had that hair, which is amazing, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, when he when he was moving down there, like the whole idea that they convinced him to move down there, and this is like this young guy, like it's definitely that that era, that time when you can move across the country and you know just bunk with somebody and and make a go of it, right? And and he, you know, he moves down and he was going to room with uh, Steve Levine, I think, and they 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 filmed that whole day and. 
Kevin and Peter and Jim and Steve are there, and and Ryan Brown's parents drive him down in a Winnebago, and they're <laughs> like, mo- and they're moving like furniture up the stairs together, and they're wearing crazy Mickey Mouse shirts, and they're all you know yelling at the camera because it's a video camera in the 1980s, and then they all go and have a picnic, and they're all throwing footballs to each other. So some of some of that stuff, you know, the picnic and stuff sort of pops in there, but it's yeah. like you're absolutely right. Like they. You, you're like you're so jealous when you watch it to go like that would be so <laughs> cool to be part of that. Like you can totally see how all of that energy bled into the content they were creating because it was just it was just so cool to be in that group. Well, right, right. I mean, they and they were still at that time in history. They were still on the cusp. They had no idea. They were happy. Yay! They they picked up. Uh, they're gonna do this cartoon. They had no idea that that cartoon was going to explode. I mean, yeah, they, they, exactly. so it's still kind of a interesting step back in time, you know, right on the cusp of. Yeah, when you things. look, when you see that footage of, of of Kevin and he picks up piece of, uh, or he piece of, picks up uh, one of the drawings of the pages, and he goes, "Here, Peter, we have this idea," and he says something about the back. This wall is going to be all black behind here. That that footage is before the toys have, or the toys in the cartoon happen, right? So that is, or right around the time that maybe Mark. Mark Freeman has shown up there, but none of that, none of the party hasn't happened yet, right? Like, yeah. none of that has been, like, set in stone. So they literally are just a bunch of guys making a black and white comic, um, you know, and, and making a little bit of a living off of it. So it's, you know, that is, you're absolutely right. It's, like, right there, right before the this, this giant storm that then takes over and, and changes <laughs> everybody's lives. And then the stories that, that didn't make it in, that we never really filmed, like, beyond that, are just insane. Because once they... Once, because it's because it's dark. It gets dark and gets gets ugly and scary because of how how that much success breeds like crazy people. You know that come out of the the woodwork that all every oh. you know I I invented the turtles and I told you that I invented them on a bus and you know I told you on a bus when I saw you and you know and then they all go you know what I mean the lawsuits and the you yeah. know everything you don't want to put that because none of these docs are are like that these are all feel good docs we don't get we don't dig into the you know oh what happened and all the dirt and all that stuff. And just, I want to thank you for not doing the uh, the grim and gritty and dark stuff like that. I mean, how hard how hard was it to resist the temptation to just like, you know, I can make a documentary about how everyone just like sued everybody about the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> well, to be absolutely honest, it, it's not even to us, and I don't say this like we're we're anything special, but we, to us, it never was a. We never look at these for for that. You know, what I mean, we don't we don't actually yeah. find the temptation tempting to make that into the film because for two reasons. One. We're looking at what these people created in all of these brands as the the high art of our time. When you really think about it, you go, you know, you've got the pop culture art, whether it's comics or, I mean, for instance, in, in, I'm going to be over to Conan a little bit. Like, Conan, like Frank Frazetta is one of my all-time favorite artists. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank Frazetta is a pop culture artist, right? He painted book covers. And, like, everybody knows Frank Frazetta's Conan. If they don't know who Frank Frazetta is, they've seen that Conan image where Conan's standing on that mountain of bodies and he's holding a sword down, you know, in front of him and there's a woman on his leg. <laughs> you know, that guy and those people and the Kevins and Peters and everything, I look at them as, like, the Michelangelos and the Da Vinci's of today, right? Yeah. So, so when we look at it like that, we like to treat it with that kind of reverence across the board. So – and. So you don't – why would you want to tell the nasty story? Unless, of yeah. course, that, that, that the nasty that, – you know, that's how it ended. Let's say somebody died and it was a nasty story. I mean, um, at the same time, to be completely kind of crass and commercial about it, if you're going to sell one of these films, 
to to a broadcaster that or no, sorry to to the owner of the property they don't want you to tell that right yeah <laughs> so so it makes no business sense either um, right and and at the same time i think most important reason is that and when we found this with with he-man for sure because of all the contentious history around it was that that the, these, at the same time as being, you know, we treat them with as reverence and respect as the, the higher, you know, pop culture higher of, of our time, they are still silly, right? They, they are still silly children's things <laughs> that, that could very easily as adults be looked upon as silly, right? So let's not overemphasize the fact that they're silly because we want to remember them as something special and important. So, so it doesn't do any, the fans or ourselves as fans, any service to say, oh, look how ridiculous this was. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was that, yeah, we know it's ridiculous, but we also know that we still loved it. You know, we still have tattoos of it. We still, you know, people get like their, their engagement rings to their wives have power swords on them, you know, for, you know, like it's, that's cool. Still doing a podcast about it, man. Oh yeah. I got tattoos of turtles and everything. Yeah. It's okay. No, a hundred percent. And we know, we know what it is. But at the same time, it's 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 special and it's important. So, yeah, we we always wanted to, we've always looked at these and said, you know, this is this is the most important story. If you don't mind, Isaac, I was curious. You had mentioned earlier uh, that the Turtle Power documentary was about a bunch of firsts, about the first comic and the first cartoon and the first movie and action figure. I was curious um, if you would mind elaborating about the second film. What is going to be the crux of that film? What is that going to be? About. Right. Yeah. I mean, I hope that my one of my director listens to this. He doesn't get too angry about how much information I always let go. But uh, he's cringing. <laughs> he's cringing. He's listening to it right now. Cringing. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> he, not yet. He's not. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's the future. Um, he, uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, when we when we approach this one, there there are a number of things that we didn't co- we didn't put in this the first doc that we did cover, and it was just simply because of the fact that. Um, when you got into the edit and you're trying to tell a, a cohesive story in a, in a in a 96 minute package, which was mandated by the people we used to, they was like, "Yep, no, it has to be 96 minutes." So, okay, you have to fit it within that bracket. You know, you like an arc of any movie, like any live action or, or or narrative movie, you you come down off these roller coasters, and then you have to have some sort of resolution and some sort of day you want. So when you have this this sort of section after in the first movie, after like the the Jim Henson movie comes out, and then then, then you have all this stuff that you've collected about, you know, well, we didn't have a ton, I should say, about the second and third movie. Uh, and then you have, you know, the, the downtime and then the reboot and then the fourth, you know, fourth volume of the comic and the 2003 cartoon. So, so it was kind of like, yeah, Turtles is huge and it's awesome and everybody loves it. And the story would go, and then this happened, 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 and then it was over. You know, so, so so you get like this this weird you know, people whether well, how much you like the the, the 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 turtles or not you wouldn't have you would watch the film and go oh god I'm bored you know by the end of it so we knew we had some of this content which was important but didn't fit into that one so when we were like okay this this is a perfect way to ramp into the second one of course now we have all this content of Kevin and Peter talking for the first time in twenty years you know and everything on that property which we filmed and then you know you go into uh, some of the stuff that we didn't cover in the first one, but most importantly, the second one really, um, I hope I'm not giving too much away, really celebrates um, what Nickelodeon did. So in a way, the, oh. second, the second movie really does talk about um, how to reboot, successfully reboot a franchise. 
and and we have, I, I would say we haven't finished shooting it yet. We we shot most of it. Um, we do come back and talk to to Kevin. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll be coming back to talk to Peter. He's agreed to be in it, but we haven't uh, done it yet. But you know, there's some pretty awesome stuff. I mean, really, the way that Ciro and the team made that happen is is pretty amazing. Um, and Ciro really gave us his time, and we really we really captured a lot with him and. Every, as many people at Nickelodeon, and then I spent, um, this is a little moment of Canadian pride here, I spent uh, uh, three days at the animation studio, which is in Vancouver, um, wow. Columbia, and that's where the show is animated. Now, as as you guys, as most people, pop culture fans, know, most cartoons, if not all, after 1983, when He-Man was the last one to be animated completely in the United States, they all went they all went overseas, right? All of the animation of Ghostbusters and, and Thundercats and Turtles and G.I. Joe and all the physical animation was all done overseas, mostly in Asia. Some of it was in Ireland, ironically. Um, so, yes, to, I will be fair that to the American companies, Canada is still a foreign country, but I consider it North America. So the fact that it is animated in North America, because, of course, the the reason that it that this animation is not done in in America is because it's so expensive to hire, <laughs> which is a horrible thing to say because it turns into a sweatshop, right? Because why do you buy your <laughs> shirts at Walmart's for five dollars? Because they're made for five cents. Um, so so the this is why everything was animated overseas. So to for anything to be animated in North America, it costs a lot of money. Um, so for the first four seasons. Of, of the Nickelodeon Ninja Turtle show, they split it up between two or three studios. That's also a, a safety reason, because if, if any one studio goes under, then you, you are scrambling to find some other studio to start up, right? Yeah. So that was a, a safety reason, right? So there is a dollar difference between the U.S. and, and, and Canada. It hasn't, hasn't been that for a lot of the recent years, but there's a dollar difference. The, the American dollars do go a little bit farther here. But still, you're talking you know, the same standard of living, so you have to pay these people a, a, a minimum wage that's, you know, relatively high. Um, so when when the fifth season came through and they said, okay, you know what, Bardell Entertainment, you're going to do all of it. You're going to do the whole season. And they weren't even set up for it, and, and they're doing that. So I spent three days with, with the people who, who run this team of animators, uh, and you're talking, like, you know, from layout to animation to visual effects to color correction to editing the, the, the cartoon together. Everything is done in this one facility. And it was, it was awesome uh, to, to be there and, and, yeah, to go, you know what, I'll, I'll go even beyond it. So just to have some North American pride, not just Canadian pride for them to, be, to do that here. But, yeah, for this to be happening in this part of the world is pretty is pretty great. <laughs> I and I I'm just going to poke a little bit of fun where when I was down and we were down at Nickelodeon and I'm talking to the to the people who who do like the model breakdowns and stuff like there and, and they're like yeah and then we send it overseas to be worked on. I'm like Canada's not overseas. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the same mountain range that you're in, in right now for for one thing uh, you know it's in vancouver yeah we're all in the right? same time zone so. <laughs> you're in the same freaking time zone exactly so so i i really liked poking fun a little bit there and then she you know, this young lady that said it got all sheepish and and uh, actually she was the only one she wasn't the only one i shouldn't say there was many people who were like oh and to be fair yes chunks of the show used to be in the first two seasons like one third or half of the show would be overseas and then the other half would be in in canada but they chose to stay there because also it's way easier for the animators being in the same same time zone right so is there uh, in the people from nickelodeon and and bardell can communicate you know they all get up and go to work at the same time um so yeah anyway that's my little that's my little poking fun moment (laughs) 
but uh, I was going to ask, and I know this is kind of a thin line for you. Do you think the comics, the newer comics, you know, the revival and the, what IDW has done with the comics, do you think they might possibly be featured in this film or yeah yeah totally because i mean i think it's it's fair to say because of the fact that kevin is back in the documentary in this one um so and we had filmed stuff with idw comics for the first one we had we had shot stuff because um at the time when we were shooting the first one i think they were up to like issue 10 or 11 or something yeah so, yeah 2011 yeah yeah it was very early so we we got we got some of that on camera which is which is good be, because we had some of the earlier artists and i also um, interviewed um, artists like Ross Campbell, uh, who is now known as so- Sophie Campbell, for the first film. So some of those people do do kind of, did kind of permeate into the first film. So so um, yeah, we'll, we to answer your question in a roundabout way, we we definitely will talk about that as 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 definitely part of this this reboot because we look at it as a very successful element um, so to cool. the reboot. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I, I guess I can ask you this, you know, outside of the film, what do you think of what's been going on so far? I mean, as far as the revival of the Ninja Turtles, as far as, you know, the new cartoon, the new comics. I mean, what do you as a fan think of everything that's going on? Well, I think what's really important to look at in terms of this, re- the revival of it is, and, it, and, it's, and it's part of the problem that other brands have had with, um, <clears throat> with trying to revive their lines over the years, is that when you try to make content for us, as the as the fans who are adults who are grew up with this when they make content for us like they tried to do with um with He-Man then then the brand dies with you right it does not revive because you're an adult and you're not going to buy toys at the volume well you might but you're going to buy more expensive <laughs> ones but the but the the actual volume the actual numbers that children on mass there's not enough of us harder core fans that will buy stuff to justify the existence of a line, um, and yes, yeah, so when I look when I look at comic books, I think that comic books have become an adult medium. I mean, if you really think about it, when was the last time you saw little kids going down to the to literally the the corner store, you know, beside the milk and, and chocolate bars and buying comic books <laughs> off a rack? That it was that to me that is the, the heyday of when comics were awesome. Now, comics are <laughs> awesome for me right now, but that doesn't mean that it's you know it's not making new fans. So I think that it's very it's very important to look at the success of this reboot, whether we like the live-action film or not. It still brought out a huge chunk of young kids, but more importantly, I think Nickelodeon Playmates nailed it, you know, yeah. on the head. And they, they before before this came back, and yes, there's a little bit of a groundswell, and maybe other properties were, were were helping it, but I really think the Turtles has a lot to do with it. Um, when when I looked at toy aisles prior to Playmates bringing back Turtles. Uh, and and Nickelodeon bring back turtles. There was nothing there. Like like kids weren't playing with toys anymore. Like after the nineties, kids stopped. Like they like yeah. you like the Walmart aisles reduced down to like one aisle of action figures when it used to be like a whole flipping section. Like you know, a whole <laughs> aisle for just turtles and a whole aisle for just GI Joe or whatever. Now those those days are gone. Or they were gone for a while. And I and I I was sad because I mean I look at it from younger children coming up. I want them to have happy memories of a creative childhood where they they did things in the dirt and they played outside now obviously there's yeah. a whole lot of other factors in there overprotective parents etc blah 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 society telling us it's dangerous outside when it's actually the safest <laughs> it's ever been um you know <laughs> even though we like to think that you know we're going to be blown up by terrorists as you're actually far more likely to die from eating too many big macs that's a fact sorry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you, know, you know like it's just you know we live in this crazy world where we're afraid to go outside and play 
but yet it's the safest it's ever been. So send your kids outside to play in the sandbox with the turtles where you and I discovered them. And in order for that to happen, you need this groundswell around a youth-driven brand that's in, that's handled intelligently and you know is well designed and has good stories that children and adults can maybe enjoy alike i mean we're obviously that we're also like the first generations of people who enjoyed this content with our children you know our yeah. parents didn't sit down and go oh awesome i totally love Turtles <laughs> and it's like you know why don't we sit there they would be sitting there you don't want to watch gumby and friends you know like <laughs> <laughs> Here's you know Beanie and Cecil, and, and my parents did that because they're weird and hippies. And that's okay, um, but you know, so we, the fact that this brand has achieved that status again and put toys back in in aisles, and you know, like the other day I was walking through a party store, right, and you've got there was this aisle in the party store, and I took a video of it because it was so bizarre. It was like it was like okay, if you want to have your themed birthday, you've got this aisle of you know, paper cups and paper hats and forks and knives and napkins, right? And they have them branded for every single boy and girl hot item right now, right? So down the boy side, they had these little like, um, but there's like these little signs that stick out that, that are like little signposts to say, you know, here's a circle with a picture of Batman. Here's a circle with a picture of Superman. Here's a circle with a picture of Mickey Mouse. Here's a circle. So you go down this line and there's like, you know, like I say, Batman, Superman, Mickey Mouse, Transformers, Turtles, right? <laughs> Turtles is up there with the biggest brands of history have never gone away, right? So you go... Wow. Bam, there it is. And it is still right there. And people are going to go buy paper cups and napkins to have their Ninja Turtle birthday parties in 2016 for their kids. So you look at the success of this reboot and you go, that's the success of this reboot. They've sold more items and more, you know, toys. You know, I think there was some, you know, you know, anecdotal statistic that suggested that they were selling a Ninja Turtle toy every second in like 2014, 2015. Like wow. it was like boom, 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 boom. Like they were just unloading. Like this, in the same way that Turtles in the in the 19 in the late 1980s, early 1990s, you know, their, their peak year, like Carl Aronian says in the documentary, they sold they shipped 100 million units. You're talking like the biggest toy brand in history, is yeah. is like ex- exploded on a second time. And how is that possible? You know, we we do live in an age of reboots. It's like, why why wasn't there you know you know any original ideas? But turtles never really went away, even though it kind of died out for a little while, and everything. Died. But you know, it died out because everything died out. Like everything went away, and then you know, then all of a sudden it comes back, and it's it's this humongous thing. So yeah, and I'd say that's that that's a it's a focus on purpose in the second doc because you go. Yeah, we like to remember these cool things. But you know what? That's really important. Is you know these this this happened again, and it happened on a scale that we might look at it slightly differently because of the way that we experienced it on the schoolyard when we were kids was different than how the kids are experiencing it now because just because of the environment they live in. But it's still something that those children are going to remember as this huge yeah. thing when they were a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, it blows my mind. And, and Josh and I, we've talked about this quite a bit. You know, I, I never thought – and, I, of course, sometimes we look at the past through rose-colored glasses and stuff. But I never thought the turtle craze would be as big as it was – in the late 80s and early 90s. I never thought we'd see that again. I thought that was a, not a fad, but I thought that was just kind of an error that probably would never be recreated again. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I swear, I think it's happened. I, I think it's happened with, with what Nickelodeon has done and IDW has done, what Playmates has done. It, it is just mind-blowing to see, you know, store shelves, kind of like what you mentioned. There's a whole aisle again in Toys R Us and, uh, and, and in Target where it's just nothing but turtles on that one whole aisle. It, it just... 
it makes me so proud, you know, in, in a lot of ways that it has not gone away and that it's a household name. Like, as a matter of fact, all the people I work with, they know me as a Ninja Turtle guy, but, <laughs> you know, all, all the people I work with, you know, they're not necessarily hardcore fans, but everybody knows the everybody Turtles. Knows if you mention the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, everybody knows them. Yep. You know, and most people could probably even name all four. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, I would even argue that the Ninja Turtles are more popular now. I know we talked about this, but they're more t- uh, popular now than I think they were in their heyday in the early 90s. I mean, just given the advancements in technology and how kids, you know, like my kids, for example, I have, uh, my wife and I have five kids, and they can go on Holy YouTube. Cow. On, yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Was, that, that wasn't the plan to have like a little X-Men team, but, you know, that's kind of what happened. You were um, an anomaly in this day and age. I know. Well, you know, <laughs> like my kids can go on YouTube and they can watch the or I mean, not like I don't have the DVDs and Blu-rays, but they can go watch the cartoon that I watched when I was a kid and they can go talk to their friends about it. And then before you know it, this old episode that aired in 1989 or 1990 is up on Facebook with all these kids watching it. And they're like, well, that looks familiar. And then they see their Nickelodeon episode and it just keeps going. It has a snowball effect. And I mean, it's just I mean, you are right. I can't. I I could argue that the Ninja Turtles have never actually gone anywhere because, like, there was always some type of Ninja Turtle. Product. Right, but I mean, like, to be but to be fair, they they didn't necessarily hit the nail on the head, and it could have been timing and in place and everything. But I think you know over the years. But I think that what we are going to share, or we hope to share in this film, is you really look at why it worked this time and why yeah. it worked with this person, and and in particular, like. Like I don't want to get again, don't want to give too much away, but in particular, Ciro Nielli is like, he is one special dude. Like he is an incredibly talented man, and I don't think I don't think people will appreciate or will hopefully be able to appreciate in this doc how much of his hand is in that in that show. And and when you look at like the thought and the effort and the and the in, you know, just just sheer effort that went into it, you go, yeah, there's going to be a whole new level of respect when this film comes out to to really to see what he has done. And it's, and it's like, uh, it's pretty cool. And you go, that's why, that's also why this has really worked. Yeah. Because, you know, this guy has put, you know, you take the right, right magic combination of, of people and, and then letting those people free uh, and, and, you know, letting them go and do what, what they know how to do best and, and let them, let them, you know, grow and be magical little flowers. That sounds, super <laughs> but anyway, it's like, it, you know, I, I was going down a lame path there. So, um, but yeah, no, it, you get the point. Like if they, if you let them go and be creative in that environment, then you get what we got and it's super, you know, successful. And it's, it's really, I think it's, it's too bad that after five, five seasons, I think it could keep going. Oh yeah. It still has legs. I mean, the hundredth episode was fantastic. Well, uh, going back to the first film, uh, Isaac, seeing things as a fan, what stands out to you in the film? Like, what's your personal favorite part of the first doc- the Turtle Power documentary? That's yeah, it's tough. Um, it, it's yeah, I mean, like to me, it's like I said earlier, it's it's tough to like as a as a fan to kind of step away from it and go. What is yeah. the, what is my favorite part because of the fact that so many of my experiences and what I love about it are the experiences you know what I mean like it's the it's the the little things of of being being in the room or, or talking to people or the stuff you did off camera or whatever but uh, yeah like I mean some some of the magical things like you know the the, the voice cast reunion and the um, you know the time we spent at, at Hanson and stuff but I think overall what I took away from that was the 
you know, personally and also as a fan, the friendship of Kevin and Peter and and the yeah. fact that it it still exists and and that it you know it, it had rocky times like anybody else's friendship and that they you know they're able to talk to each other now and 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 like to be part of that was like an extreme honor uh not as yeah. a f- not necessarily as a fan like I don't want to sit there and go you know just look at them as these turtle idols and these guys that can go oh my god you know you did you did the turtles and now you're you're hugging and stuff and that's cool no it's it's really like as a human being I'm I'm standing there going, that's nice, that's cool, right? And and that that I think is what I will always take away from it is as an experience is they, you know, they let us into their lives and and you know we spent a lot of time with them over the years and and it was it was cool just as people to to know them. They're cool. They're they're cool individuals and they're very they're very talented. And that's and that's cool. It's cool to be around anybody who's that talented. It's just awesome. Uh, was it hard to like separate the uh, for yourself to separate the uh, turtle fan in you from the logical person just to like accept that this is a real person who just happened to do this be involved in this thing? I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, like it's it is sort of like that, that any kind of starstruckness that that yeah. people would feel around you know name name the 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 person. Um, I always said there was like. Like because I think also because of the nature of the business that I work in, not that I say, not that I can say mm-hmm. that I've worked with a lot of big stars or whatever, but you have to kind of separate a professionalism so from your thing. But but at the same time, yeah, when I started this, I was definitely the fan. Now I was very fortunate to have um, the my co-producers who are older older dudes and who are not didn't come to this at fans, but came to them uh, came to this as you know journalists and documentary filmmakers and scholars or whatever you want to call us and so they definitely helped the early times the early years of my my enthusiasm which could definitely be perceived as fan excitedness to kind of keep that in check um to go no no you know we've got to be professional here so yeah i will i will give them some credit for you know kind of (laughs) helping helping But you know what you know. I say I say that, and I don't mean that they're sitting there like giving me lectures before we or giving me prep talks before we go uh, on. But it's like at the same time, just the fact that they are in the room, they balance out that energy, yeah. right? So that that was a an important element because I was doing a lot of the research and the you know uh, interview acquisition. So I was finding Renee Jacobs or whoever or Barry Gordon, and you get them on the phone, and I'm like, you know, yeah, we're gonna set this thing up, and I'm like they sound like. Donatello, I sound like <laughs> April. I'm on the phone with them. Like that's that's so cool. So yeah, no, it, it, you do you totally yeah, you totally get that super excited up and down. But I mean, I, I'll say that you know, I remember Randall, the director, getting super excited being at at Jim Henson Studios. Not only because we're at Jim Henson Studios, but because that's Charlie Chaplin's original studio. You're talking like the the origins of Hollywood. Like that barn over there was like the, one of the earliest buildings in that area. You know, like you know, that's where the Creature Shop is, and there's his footprints in the cement. And this is Charlie Chaplin's old office. And so even he was like, oh my god, <laughs> you know, you're kind of getting giddy about it because you're because you're there. Um, so. Yeah, everybody has those moments. I will say that, that years later, there was only like two. I always said there was only two people in in the world that I would get kind of starstruck by, and I, and one of them was the lead singer of a specific band, and I met the drummer from that band uh, on the street, and I and I kind of made a little bit of a fool of myself, so I'm still still, <laughs> still a fan, but I I still kind of I didn't ask for his autograph, I didn't ask to take a picture, you know, but I still said something silly. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, wow. That's that's, that's cool. cool. Yeah, because Rob and I had interviewed earlier this year. We had interviewed Kevin Eastman, and that was just the hardest thing for me to do is to just calm down because at the end of the day, he is a person, 
you know, you want to be normal around other people. And that was just, I was, I was so quiet on that interview because I was just like, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't make this guy never want to be on the internet. Again. <laughs> no, I don't think that anybody could ever offend Kevin. I mean, he's one of the nicest dudes on the planet. Such so, a nice guy. He was yeah. cool. He's a class act. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, big is. Time. yeah. No, he, he's been, he's been great to us over the years. And I mean, like to put it in, into perspective, like, I met him in February '09 at that convention, and you know we chatted. And I've told this story many times. You know, like we chatted there, and by the end of that, the New York Comic Con, we went out and had a drink. And and yeah, like at that point, you're like, oh my god! Like now, to be absolutely <laughs> fair, I didn't know who Kevin Eastman was when I was a kid, right? Like I didn't know who that was. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't discover no. the, the comics until way later. So I can't sit there and say, oh, I've known who this guy is my entire life. You, you've known his creation your entire life. So you do have this, this because, because, I mean, you tell the average person on the street, they probably don't know who he is. Um, but the, they know who the turtles are. So, yeah, there was definitely, you know, he's got, he's got the star power also because he's Kevin. So he's a little bit more out in the open um, in terms of a creator. Um, and then he, um, that was in February. By March, we were staying in one of his houses that he was selling. Um, and that's where we shot all the the voice cast reunion. Um, like that that's how giving he is, right? That he's like, you know, Randall gets on the phone with him after we come back and they chat back and forth and, and he's like, you know, he's like Rand's like, Do you know any good places to shoot? and blah blah and Kevin's like, Well you, you could just use this house I'm selling. <laughs> and, he, and to be to be to be fair, we were kinda hoping you'd say that. Um <laughs> and, uh, because we were doing this on the cheap and we're still three films, four films later, I don't know how many films we're shooting, five or six different films right now. We do them all out of our own pockets. Like there's no there is no third party that comes in and says, other than when we help with, with Kickstarter, thank you all your back backers on the one Kickstarter we've done. It was amazing. Um but the that's it. That's still even even with those Kickstarter backers, it's still very expensive. You still have to put your own time, which you're not getting paid for, and and all of the um, the expenses beyond that that even Kickstarter can cover. Um, so, um, yeah, like you know, to, that was a huge help. You know, it helped make it more of a reality to say we can spend ten days in, in Hollywood and not have to pay for a hotel the whole time. We hadn't, <laughs> hadn't yet discovered this horrible, not horrible, it's the one, the best hotel on the planet because it's right down middle of West Hollywood, but it's the cheapest hotel on the planet. So, <laughs> so we always stay there since then. We've always stayed there, which is, you know, it's, it's okay. That's not a five-star, <laughs> let's say that. Um, but it's uh, but it's it's there and it's right in the middle of it and the guy a roof. <laughs> always yeah the guy always moves everybody around because he knows who we are um, and you know we get our room so that's 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 nice that's good service so anyway yeah like that that house didn't have any furniture so we had to buy inflatable mattresses from Walmart which we returned um, and uh, <laughs> stay on those for the week it's amazing what you can get away with at Walmart it's horrible horrible. Um, yeah, so so you know he he's that kind of a giving dude. So he, uh, yeah, he's definitely a cool guy to have. Well, I mean, doesn't that you know as a fan kind of make you appreciate the the franchise even more, knowing that you know a lot of these people that that you've talked to are just genuinely nice, friendly, easygoing people. Yeah. yeah no, we we totally when we walked away from that that doc, we we used to reflect on that and go like, wow, that that's bizarre. Like, th- there wasn't a single. That whole experience, <laughs> like it was, it was amazing. Like even down, right down to like the the suits, so to speak. You know, they they like every there there are there are some horror stories around guys like Fred Wolf, right? Like he is not known for being a nice guy, right? Like he, we were warned. Like we didn't, we hadn't gone, to, we hadn't gone to see him for years. We showed up, and he had a nameplate on our parking spot. 
he he's this this wow. kind little old guy not old little uh, not little but he's very old um but he sitting behind his desk he takes us out for mexican food for lunch tells us this amazing story the guy served in the korean war for crying out loud he started animating on popeye in the 1930s in new york when he was like 13 wow. years old right like doing backgrounds and stuff like legend living legend has an oscar for for crying out loud like you go the, and he was so nice but yet you know i'm sure that back in the day they all had you know lawsuits and everything and lawyers but anyway the uh he he said in his interview i think he said at one point i think it's in the film where he says something about at this point in life it's all good you know it's all it's all kind of water yeah. edge. and he's like yeah there was some there was some crappy times or whatever but it's all good we all we all really benefited from this thing and everybody when those those times were tough when you really look at it they were all only fighting for the integrity of what they thought was the best product right and the best iteration of the product which is totally part of the creative process in anybody like we had lots of fights making those documentaries or all these documentaries because because you're you're all creative people working towards the best and goal and then it is that friction or that confrontation that then creates the best product so so yeah the frictions that did happen in the past you know resulted in what we got <laughs> you know so yeah right you can't, you can't really like you know complain you know so i mean uh, you when, when you look back at uh, turtle power i mean uh, do you look back with a pretty big degree of pride and, and and through the rest of the producers as well because i mean i love the film as as a fan i love everything you've done I love the fact that I just feel like a fly on the wall, you know, with with this friendship that all these different behind the scenes parts. I love that you talked about the 1990 film uh, pretty extensively in the film. I love that movie, and I just this is everything I could have hoped for, and and to, to even learn there was a part two that was like a bonus. I was like, what, really awesome? But for you, a couple years now since it's uh, been out, do you look back and say that's what we wanted to do? Yeah, I th- I think that the pride that I feel in the film. Is really related is a lot related to sure that we were able to tell a really great story. Um, we were able to get it into one of the biggest, um, the farthest reaching produce uh, um, distributors in the on the planet. Um, you know that was a very exciting um, thing. I'm very I'm very proud to say that when I turn to somebody and say yeah, and we sold it to Paramount. Like how many little backwoods you know tiny small town filmmakers from Ontario in Canada get to come down and and play with big boys and sell movies to Paramount like that just that, that doesn't happen so it, it was like yeah you know I'm Miley Cyrus I succeeded right um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not actually Miley Cyrus that's that's a horrible analogy but anyway um, you came in like a wrecking ball my friend I did and yeah no I I, I think I yeah, I'm very. We're all very proud of of that accomplishment. To be to be honest, it's it's kind of it's kind of a, a double edged sword because I'm very proud of that accomplishment, but I'm also like, you know, I've got four other movies in the can, and and I want to get them out. And you know, it's a long drawn out process when you're doing any of them. Um, we're excited that I think He Man's probably going to be the next one to to be out. Um, and uh, I'm sure, you know, much to the chagrin of all the Turtle fans, they wish I was editing on Turtles right now, which I will be. It actually, it's, it's actually faster now because technology's come so far. It's faster for me to go through. And also, they look totally different. And as a cinematographer, I'm, I'm very excited to get the next ones. I'm like, yeah, Turtle Power is awesome. It's a great story, but it doesn't look as cool as these next two are going to look. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really pushing to for that. Um, you know, so, so yeah, it, 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 is, it is something we're all very proud of. 
and we're very excited and proud to continue to to do it and to continue to do more and and you know to get to go back and revisit those those people and 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 do do more turtle stories. It was actually pretty fun this this year. We it was a couple months ago now, but we Randall Randall and I spent you know that better part of that month on the road and did um you know dove back into to turtle land and that was that was exciting. It was cool to to do that again and revisit that history. Um, so yeah, it's something we're very proud of and something we're very excited to to continue to be part of. Awesome. Well, we did we did have a couple questions from uh, our listeners, and Thaddeus Manning wanted to know, and I think you've actually mentioned this. Uh, he says, "Will any of the 2003 series, you know, the, the Fox for Kids series, be covered in part two? Yeah, that was one of the biggest things that people were like, "Hey, you know, you didn't talk about this." Isn't and then, to many of our, to many of the more adult fans, that was their favorite iteration because it so closely told the stories of the car, the, the comic book, and um, we were able to um, really spend a little bit of time with the people who were creating the that show in New York right when it, that show was finishing. So we were lucky enough to come along right at the time that the people were still in the offices, they were still working on backgrounds, they were still, you know, in they were actually in production on um on Turtles Forever. So it literally it was that oh, awesome. the end of that uh they were actually not even allowed to tell us that they were doing the comic books Turtles of course um in in that in that film. So we have we have a good chunk of that content. We have interviews with most of the the, the primary voice cast from that. We've got you know, Lloyd Goldfine is a big he, Lloyd Goldfine appears briefly at the end of of the first one. So we have that content. It's very much our intention to include it either as part of the second doc or uh, if there's if we do any other bonus releases or you know campaigns or whatever they're gonna we intend to release that content in some way shape or form. Yes, because obviously it's 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 a good story. Whether or not it fits full in this next narrative or not and and then maybe we we will be will be able to have the time to release it separately and and i and i know some people are frustrated that it's like you know you've been promising that for a long time but it's like yeah it's expensive and it takes a lot of time to do that so <laughs> even not. even though i've said that we have that we have this stuff and and it's not as easy as oh i click my fingers and then it appears on on a on a disc that you can look at or a, or a link and and it costs a lot of money to to capture that footage so this is business. You know, we have to still sell yeah. something. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I totally understand that. And then uh, Christopher Carlson says, are uh, the movies, or is part two going to get an international release with subtitles so I can show them to my family? That's an interesting question um, because of the fact that that implies to me, because I saw that online as well, it implies to me that he um, wasn't able to get a foreign language release of it. I think what he said in that, I think he said something to the effect that that it was Spanish. There was a Spanish release, and 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 he's in. I think he said it was in Portugal. Um, I might be wrong on that. I apologize. Um, it, it's interesting to us because of the fact that, of course, we sell we sold the first one to Paramount, and you do a you do what call what is called versioning. So you have to create um, subtitled uh, systems that include descriptions of cultural vernacular, so that if somebody says a catchphrase in English that does not translate to other languages. You have to... Like cowabunga. Or, or you know, <laughs> like, what was the... What was the there was a, a famous case of, of Coca-Cola. One of their ads used to say, you know, something about life. It was like, you know, get a get a get something on life or something. And they put all these billboards up in, in Asia, and they actually translated it incorrectly, so it was like, bring you back from the dead. <laughs> Coca-Cola will bring you back from the dead. It was hilarious. But anyway, so the, you know, that's what I mean by that cultural vernacular. So they... Uh, so, so the fact is that they they took it and then 
I'm, I've, I've kind of been frustrated by the fact that they never did physical media releases other than North America. They never did DVDs elsewhere. But as far as I know, because I have you know all the documents, they've sold it in all these markets around the world. So I'm actually surprised that whatever versions he has access to don't have those. They had to pay for all of that subtitling and and or i don't think they did any voiceover but i mean like you know it's in asia it's in south america it's in europe it's in russia it's it's absolutely everywhere around the world so i i i kind of i kind of answer it with a question to say is there a version that you can get your hands on that is translated correctly because i would i would think that it was translated correctly but i don't but i might be wrong and and in which case i'm sorry because i I wish i had anything to do with that but i i don't so so in, again, to further answer it, if you know, as we sell it, the second one to whoever buys it, whoever the distributor partner is, it is their responsibility to version the film to the markets that they are selling it to. So, if it, for instance, goes on Netflix internationally, if that was a, a distributor, then each of those um, regions would have to have their um, their proper subtitles on it. Right. Right. Well, I think the most the most important question here comes from a guy you might know named Rob McCallum. Oh, I'm not uh, answering any of Rob McCallum's. <laughs> I know he's the worst. He, he's a hoser. I'll tell you. <laughs> all of those are all in jokes. They're all in jokes too. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, ask you this one. I think because I'm really intrigued about this. He says, "Ask him if there's a difference between the power in the power of Gray Skull and the power <laughs> in Turtle Power." Oh no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to answer that. Oh, Rob, I think. I think the power in Turtle Power has something to do with driving the turtle van fast. I th- yeah, that's I think it. I think it has something to do with that. Um, I think the power of Grayskull was best put by um, Michael J. Is J. Michael? No, J. Michael Straczynski, one of the famous yeah. cartoon writers. He, uh, I think, he says in Power of Grayskull something about uh, the power of Grayskull. He spells it different. He goes, Grayskull is actually spelled this, which is actually the power of merchandising. So it's by the power of merchandising that the power of Grayskull. Yeah, merchandising. Very good. <laughs> merchandising. So, yeah, those are the differences. Driving fast in a van and merchandising. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> no, have you uh, have you seen the new film that came out back in uh, July? Uh, which, the second one? Yeah, the Out of the Shadows. Have you seen that? And what are your thoughts on it? Um. <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, the yeah, no, I've seen I've seen both of them. To be absolutely honest, I I enjoy both of them. Uh, I always actually I I had seen I always never had a problem with um, the design per se. Personally, I'm not a big fan of them being as large as they are, but I I've, I've never really had a problem with the design. Um, I think that they did a really you know good job of executing a fun and entertaining movie. Um, but I I would say like. So many, um, pretty much all, <laughs> with a you know, rare exception, uh, most Hollywood movies right now are suffering from this really weird written by committee problem that yeah. they just are just so lowest common denominator. I mean, when was the last time you saw a big live action rated R movie that was a big movie? You know, like they used to make pr- toys for the Predator movies, which is amazing because it's a rated R. <laughs> I know, um, yeah. but uh, I I think that there's something not to say that movie has to be rated R, but there's something lost in in that uh, again it, go- it comes right back to the thing that i was saying about how to properly reboot reboot a series and when you look at how- why the first of the turtle live action movies was was successful the very very first one and if you look at you know why uh the nickelodeon stuff is successful you look at creators individual creators or small groups of them 
having the freedom to do what they want uh, and, yeah. and what they think is, is their vision and it appeals to them. And you just hope that, that whatever appeals to that person is translates really well to everybody else. And um, the, the fact is uh, that, that I don't think that that opportunity was granted in the, uh, in those live action, those those latest live action versions. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I got some rapid uh, fire questions for you. If that's if you don't mind, man. Uh, favorite comic issue? Ooh, that's a good one. I haven't I haven't read them for a long time. Uh, I would say I would say the uh, oh my god, everybody's gonna hate me because I don't remember the title of it. Um, it's that I think it's a, around. It's when it's when uh, Kevin Eastman was working on his own, and he did that little version of the one where they go back to Northampton, and they're trying to find some golden cow. Oh, <laughs> I actually know what you're talking about. I, I don't know what it's called either, but uh, yeah, that's and the, uh... cover, and the cover has them all like wearing like kind of like trench coats and holding Tommy guns and stuff. I love that one. Oh, the Unmentionables. There you oh, go. That's it. Love that one. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, favorite movie. Uh, oh, the first Steve Barron one, hundred percent. Oh, me too. Me too. Favorite cartoon episode. I would say I couldn't I couldn't pinpoint it down, but it's definitely within the first five. Like the first five arc is like is is to me like turtles as a cartoon. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Favorite turtle? Ooh, uh, I've never been able to answer that question correctly because it, it changes <laughs> always. Uh, That's always me. Changes. Yep. Yeah. All right, and then uh, favorite toy growing up? Huh. Well, I have this really vivid memory of like. Um, the metalhead toy, like I really liked that one. Uh, but I think I think they were my favorite toys growing up were the ones I didn't have. Uh, I think that my favorite ones that I had were like you know I think my Donatello one was very well loved because it was the first one I ever bought. But um, I like really 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 wanted the retro mutagen catapult, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is so ridiculous. Or the 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 plunge the plunge gun like because I think my friends had it across the street and of course the sewer layer. I always wanted the sewer layer, but my that dad. Was me. Dad definitely made made me one that didn't was more accurate to a real sewer than the sewer layer. <laughs> it's hilarious. That's awesome. All right, man. Well, uh, last question, and then we, we will uh, let you off the hook, my friend. Uh, you know, no, knowing what you know now, knowing that you're you're just about done filming part two, and then of course the first one's been out for a couple years now. You know, what do the Ninja Turtles mean to you? You know, reflectively now. Well, I think a lot, a lot like what what I said before, like they. They're they're a pretty special brand, um, and and they mean so many different things um, to me for for so many different reasons. Obviously, there's there's all of the the people that that came up with them. Um, there there is the the execution with the, the the toys and the cartoons that we all love and enjoy for nostalgic reasons. Um, but I think that that at the core of all of of all iterations that were successful is you've got um, a creative spark that is born of so many different things that that those creative people were being uh, influenced by, right? And and I think that that turtles is literally this mutation of of everything that we love around us, distilled down into something really fun and tangible. So mm. to me, that is what turtles turtles means. Is it's like this this perfect blend of the time of whenever it is successful when it was successful in the eighties, that is different than it's successful in 2012. So, so I, I see it as this distillation of, of these pop culture elements that, that the creative people behind it brought to it and, and it, and it works. It's something magical. Ah, oh, that's w- wonderfully said, my friend. Well, Thanks. 
Isaac, man, thank you so much for coming on again. Dude, we've had such a blast. I, time flew by, man. I, and I've, I apologize. We snagged you for about a half hour more than we were supposed to. No <laughs> so, worries. That was all no Josh's worries. idea. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's my fault. I just don't stop talking. Oh, no, no, not at all, man. It's great stuff. And, uh, man, just can't thank you enough. And we hope to talk to you again maybe when the film's out. Dude, anytime. Drop me a line. Oh, sounds great, man. Thank well, you, Jack. Yeah. Well, Calabunga, my friend, you have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. All right, see you, Isaac. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, we did it. Yeah, man. Yeah, awesome. yeah. What, what a cool guy. What a cool guy. Well, my friend, I'm going to hop off here, but uh, I guess before we do that, uh, you know, we can close out the show like we normally do. What kind of uh, right. what kind of pizza are we going to have to close out today's Totally Tubular episode of Turtle Flakes? Man, you know what? I feel like I ate a little bit too late last night, so I want to have something lean right now. So I'm thinking about maybe a chicken and pepper pizza. Ooh. Chicken and green pepper. Yeah. Ah, hell, that sounds pretty healthy, you know. You got your protein with the chicken. Go easy on the cheese. <laughs> Not sure, yeah. All right, dudes and dudettes. Well, here's to hoping you enjoy your chicken and green pepper pizza. Calabunga, dudes. Calabunga, everyone. And turtle power. Turtle power. <laughs> <laughs> So that that's awesome. I love that. And so so um, without, I know this is kind of a thin line for you. Um, but real quick, I'm sorry, man. I just have to sure. step away for one minute. I'll be right back. Okay. Oh sure sure no problem. Continue on. Uh, please. <laughs> you got it. Now we can uh, talk so, about it. we can talk about it. Yeah behind. exactly. Right. Thank goodness he's whisper, gone. Whisper, he's whisper. Worst. Yeah. Thanks man. <laughs> oh he heard me. Good job.